Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. And they answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard reports of him all over all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, um, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Basham, who reigned in Ashtoreth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by this very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but Joshua didn't inquire of the Lord. And then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assemblies ratified it by an oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. And so they set out. And on the third day came to the, their cities, Gibeon, Kephirath, Beeroth, and Kiriath, Jerem. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them. Now this is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. But they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. And so the leader's promise to them was kept. And then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying that we live a long way from you while, not, while you actually live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his, servants, his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord and the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. But now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and had totally destroyed it, doing Ai and its kings what he had done to Jericho and its kings, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to these other kings who lived nearby. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took positions with, against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites sent, sent word to Joshua at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including the best fighting men. 
The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel so that Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. And Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Ezekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Horon to Ezekah, and the Lord hurled large hailstones down them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Ajalon. And so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenges itself on, the, on its enemies. And as, it, as it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the day, in the middle of the sky, and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And then Joshua returned with all of Israel to the camp at Gilgal. And we're not going to read all of 10. We're going to stop there. I'll tell you what happens, though. They defeat a bunch of people. God just gives them all this land that he has promised. And, he, and, they, and you see it happen. And in fact, that's almost what the scripture says. And again, the Lord gave, gave this, them the victory. Gave them the victory. The Lord gave them the victory. So let's pray. God, we are thankful that you are a God who keeps your promises and shows your love over us in general and unique ways. God, we ask that you would open up our hearts this morning to hear from you, that we may be people who always pray in all things in your name. Amen. So that is kind of where we're at this morning is that Joshua is leading this people. And so two things happen. I could have, and you've probably been like, why don't you do this? I could have narrowed this down into like four verses. I like to read the all of scripture. Uh, but in that scripture, in verse nine, there's a very specific thing that happens. They get duped by this, by this country, right? But why did they get duped? Was it because that country was so cunning? No. Although that was a good, that was a good plan. You can't blame the Gibeonites for doing that, right? They heard, like, they didn't leave anybody living. Like, this is bad news. But what does it tell us? In chapter 9, verse... Did you find it, James? Oh, no. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Um, I'm reading now out of a different Bible than I'm used to, so I knew where it was on the page of my other one. The Israelites sampled their provisions, so they tell them this story. So the Israelites go out there, and they use their intellect, their logic. They look at it, they inspect it, and they're like, yep, this is right. But the Scripture tells us this is what happened. They sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. What do you think would happen had they inquired of the Lord? God would have probably told them these guys are lying to you. By however, whatever means they found out later, I don't know. It says, that, it says a few days later they heard. Who they heard from? I don't have a clue. They inquired about it from the Lord. All the miraculous things God's done, I think the least um, 
the least stunning one would be God answering their prayer to tell us, is this true or not? I mean, that's not a far fetch. We kind of live in a day and age where, where, I mean, we like to pray for miracles. We like to, but really believing that we're going to pray the sun to stand still and it's going to stand still. Really believing that someone who's on their deathbed could actually get up and walk. Like sometimes that's hard for us to believe. Mostly, uh, if we're being honest, it's because we never have seen it. Now, you may have, and if you have, you probably don't have some of those doubts. But these folks just, I mean, they've seen the sea open up. I mean, the water split twice for them. They they just, like, you know, I don't know what time frame we're looking at, but just recently won a battle against this really powerful city by simply walking around it. And miraculously, the walls fall. I mean, they've, they've seen some stuff. Um, surely, just praying about something would not... And I don't think that they would have thought that either. I don't think there's somebody... I don't think they got together. I don't think the, the Israelites got together when the Gibeonites came and said, so what do you think? And, somebody, and I don't think like somebody said, maybe we should pray to God. And somebody's like, no, nah, God wouldn't answer that prayer. Like, they wouldn't do that because they have, they have seen the miraculous God. They got fooled, like I often get fooled, is that I know the answer just based off of my intellect. God's given me a brain. I can figure this out. And there's been a ton of times in my life where my brain has got me in trouble or put me in a position where it was harder for me than it would have been had I just said, God, what do you want me to do? I'm thankful this morning um, for James because James has helped me over the last years. James has this really, uh, I would i would probably describe it as weird, but it's not weird. It's awesome. But like James has told me before, like, yeah, I'll just pray for even that if like parking spaces. It's like if God can move a mountain, surely a parking space. I was like, that sounds silly. But what does it teach my kids if I'm praying about every silly detail of my life? I mean, the Gibeonites, uh, coming to them and doing this. I mean, it's not like they had knives hidden in their back pockets. They really just, they just wanted to live. They didn't care about defeating the Israelites. They just wanted to live. And these people come and they come with supplication saying, you guys are so great. Your God is so mighty and we've heard about it. And so would you make a treaty with us? And this, you know, they fooled them, but it wasn't like it was life or death. It wasn't like when they were crossing over Jordan River at flood stage, right? Like that's a pretty tenuous thing. It's not like going to your first battle of Jericho and God saying, don't pull out a sword. Don't use any military strategies. Walk like that takes, and they, they've seen that. And they knew they needed God for that. What they didn't know they needed God for, what they may have forgot about was that little, those little details, the little small things, the things that in my daily life, I can very easily gloss over and say, God, I got it. You know, thanks for giving me a brain to help me figure this out. I'll take it from here. That's what the Israelites did. It didn't cost them their lives. But it wasn't God's plan for them. And you could tell by the assembly grumbling against the leaders. And the leaders saying, we're sorry, but we're not. We can't do what we're supposed to do because we've made an oath. And we don't want that falling on us. And so we've got to come up with a different plan. And often that's a beautiful, I think, word picture of the scripture that when it, when it says that God works all things together for his good. Everything. 
Even the sin that happened from Israel that forced them to walk in the wilderness, it just took a little longer, but God still provided. There may be promises in your life that you've missed out on because you try to do it your own way. It's not to say those promises aren't true and won't come be fulfilled, but it may take you a little longer. But this scripture in verse 9 just shows us the importance of having to trust God with every single detail of our life. Every single detail of our life. Nothing is inconsequential to God. And that is a beautiful thing. Because I can very easily come to the place where I'm with it, God. It's no bother. <laughs> he created all things and is everywhere. And so we see in verse 9 this, uh, this place where they just thought they could figure it out on their own and didn't need God. And God, they kind of didn't get all the fulfillment of that promise. You, you may be like me. Hopefully you are like, I want every promise that God has over my life to be fulfilled completely. Um, and we're reminded that we can't do that unless we fully trust God with every aspect of our life. Nothing is inconsequential to God. Verse 10, they got it, right? They realized, like, we're not going to leave anything to chance, and so we're going to go after in the way that God asks us to go after. And so what happens? They're being faithful to God. They were faithful to their oath, which I think was great. You could have very easily, I think, rationalized out. Maybe I'm different. Uh, but I think most of us could say, well, you lie. You want to, I put... You know, we agreed to this oath under a lie, so it's null and void, right? And it doesn't exist. But they didn't. They were faithful to what they said. And then they go and pursue these kings who come after these people who are now their servants. So now they, they feel a part of them, right? Like that's part of who they are now. These are people who serve them and they're theirs. They feel ownership of it. So when these kings rise up and say, hey, we're going to go get the Gibeonites because they made a treaty with Israel and we're, you know, we're trying to destroy this country. Why don't they join up with us? We're going to go get them. They reach out. Joshua comes. And the faithfulness of God in this story is one of, I think, the most remarkable scriptures in all the Bible. Not that you can pick favorites. They're all Useful for us, as the scripture tells us. It's all useful and good and God-breathed. But this is like one of my favorite stories. Along with David's mighty men and, of course, the Gospels. is this story of Joshua pursuing these kings who come after their people. And in the midst of pursuing them in front of all of Israel, just what kind of boldness would this take? I wonder if he, you know... God, sun stands still. Moon holds your place while we fight. And, and here is what I think is fantastic because you just see the prayer, but then you're told, but then we're told, as it is written in the book of Jeshar. Now, I don't know if you know all the books of the Bible and have them memorized. If you can say all 66 of them, that's not one of them, Okay. So this is some sort of external writing. Likely not, not uh, a writing from someone in Israel. Likely uh, a writing externally from the community of Israel, which would give credence to this. 
Because this is where we actually get this information. Because the writer of this book says, as it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky. Just stopped and held there for about a day. It says in Scripture, or it says in that, it delayed going down for about a full day. For about 24 hours, sun didn't move. There's never been a day like it before or, or since when the Lord listened to a human being. That kind of tells us, like this probably is not, oh, Jashar is not Israel. You know, he's not part of the Hebrew people because they have plenty of stories where God listened to human beings, right? But this guy, whoever this person is or girl, is amazed. Like how in the world the gods listen to a human and it did it? I love that. And then the proclamation from that is surely God was fighting on behalf of Israel. What do we know to be true over these first 10 chapters of Joshua? That God was fighting on behalf of Israel. But here's some external pagan, likely, who just proclaims that. Says, this is amazing. A godless and a man, surely he was fighting on the side of Israel. We have a God who's fighting on our side. And he's not against us. And he's for us. And he loves us. But he wants every aspect of our life, every small detail of our life. God wants us to engage him with it. And not say, well, this isn't this doesn't matter. It absolutely matters to God. Every aspect of our life matters to God. There's no part of it that is not um, important to God. If we look at Second Corinthians, there's a con- there's a context uh, at which Paul is talking, and he's discussing his ministry as an ambassador of Christ, and and if and it's all of like Second Corinthians uh, four and five is kind of this this um, place where where Paul is talking about it. Um, but he declares that we walk by faith, not sight. And then he says in there, if we walk by faith, to walk by faith is to walk in the spirit of prayerful dependence on the Lord and his guidance. Um, so Paul, I mean, Paul encourages us to walk by faith, not sight. How in the world can you walk by faith and not sight? Trusting God with every aspect of your life. God, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Can you tell me? Well, he may tell you, here's where you're going to go. Does that mean that you can see it and you're walking there? No. It's like, it's like God is guiding us all the way, and we can't see anything other than a step we're putting our foot on. And we don't know where to do that except for God's telling us, but he's leading us to that perfect place. That is what Paul's encouraging us to, to walk in a spirit of powerful dependence on the Lord and his guidance. James also encourages us in James 1.5. So James, the brother of Jesus, tells us in James 1.5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. It's just like we see with King Solomon. That wasn't a unique thing to King Solomon. What do you want? I want wisdom. What did God give him? He gave him wisdom plus a whole bunch of other stuff, right? James tells us later, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God, give me wisdom in what it is I should do today. Give me wisdom in where it is I should go. Uh, 
give me wisdom in is who I need to talk with, who I may need to invite out to lunch, who I, uh, there was a, uh, I was, I was sitting last night with a guy, um, he's a friend of, uh, uh, Tom Conlon, he's in town, and, um, after, uh, the art show last night, we went out, and, uh, Harv hadn't eaten, so we're sitting there, and he's eating, and I'm just sitting there thinking about the boiled eggs and celery I had earlier, wishing it had been a lot better. It's kind of really wanting fish and chips at that moment. But anyway, we're talking, and Harv just, like, we're talking about a bunch of different stuff. Harv has been in, um, he's spent his whole life in the music industry and has toured all around the world with all these big, famous bands. And we're talking, and he's like, we were outside this one venue, and a buddy of mine calls and says, hey, Harv, I have a friend in, in town at this place where you're at. Uh, can you put him on the guest list? He said, well, sure. So he puts him on the guest list, never meets the guy. But the guy, uh, he said, basically, Harv gives me the backstory. But he says, here's, here's all I know. It's the end of the night. It's 1, 2 in the morning. We finish the loadout. I'm walking outside to the bus. I open up the door, the back door to the venue. And there's this guy standing there. And he said, he's a, kind of a big guy. And Harv's a little guy. And he puts his hands on my shoulders. And he says, um, a yes, uh, there first has to be a no. And above all things, be grateful. And that's all the guy said. And he said, I just feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that. But for you know, that may not mean anything to you. I mean, when he's telling me, I'm like, what? Like, that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense. But what I was going through that moment, I needed to hear that. And God just sent somebody to the right place at the right time with the right word. Asking God, God, what do you have for me today? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to engage with? Because there's a chance... There's a chance it could just be a normal Monday tomorrow. And you, you ask God, you wake up, you hear this message from Joshua, and you say, God, what do you want me to do? And your Monday begins, you know, encounters and ends the exact same way as every other Monday. And there's a chance that, and that's okay. But there's also a chance that in the midst of that mundane, everyday life, you feel God compelling you to go to a different place that day for lunch or dinner, or to get your coffee, or to whatever. And you encounter somebody. And that encounter, God's light shines, if you're allowing it, shines through you in such a way that it brings hope to somebody in a specific way. That is what James is talking about. God, give me wisdom in every aspect of life, where I can go, how I can be a blessing. You bless me, how can I now take that and be a blessing for someone else? But James also, uh, later on in verse in chapter 4, he warns us against the sin of presuming on God something, right? Or against pursuing our own dreams. So let me read James 4. And it's 13 through 17. Now listen to you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go, th- go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You were a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Thanks for all the hope, James. Appreciate it. That's a bummer of a story. But he's encouraging us. You don't know. And it's gone. So instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live here or there. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin for them. Saying, trust in God in all aspects of your life. Don't say this is what's going to happen. 
I mean, you can have plans. We all, God has wired me like I'm a planner. Um, I, I like to have multiple options. I never like to be backed in a corner. I've confessed that to you guys before, but I also feel like God's designed me that way. I didn't ask for that. I didn't really want it. It's a burden on my wife a lot of times. But, uh, and so I don't think that, I'm not saying that's bad, but he's saying, hey, but let God wreck those plans too. See what God's plans are for you. Because ultimately, if you know what God's asked you to do and you're not doing it because it's not in your plan, then that's sin for you. It may not be a sin for everybody who does that thing, but it is a sin certainly for you. I remember a girl coming to me at a Christian retreat center. I was a counselor, and her church had kind of been assigned to me to kind of help as a counselor and guide them through the week and whatever. And they had just done this um, message on, you know, uh, being in full-time ministry and called a ministry. And this and this girl's like heartbroken. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking in my brain, when she walks up to me, I'm, I'm thinking this girl has felt called a ministry and now she just needs to get that out. And it's like the Lord's moving on her. I had all these kind of thoughts in my brain. And, you know, so I'm talking to her and what's going on. She says, I feel like God called me to be a nurse. But I feel today like, you know, that's not good enough. That is absolutely good enough. If God's called you to be a, a pastor, a missionary, a, you know, whatever it is, and you don't do it, that's sin. But if God's called you to be this nurse and you don't do it, that is sin for you. Like, you got to, anytime you're not following God, you're getting out of his will, and that's not where God wants us to be. So James is reminding us, you, you, you can have plans, just Make sure you can let God wreck those plans so we don't get so firmly held into those plans that we don't. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 10, he says, I know, O Lord, direct his steps. Jeremiah is declaring, God, I know, like, we don't have it in us to make it. We need you every day. And then there's also that scripture that you may have memorized when you were little. I did. In Proverbs, there's a way that seems right to men but in its end is a way of death. The, the, the Proverbs, the wisdom that came through that said, hey, you know, just a reminder, in your wisdom, you may think you know the right way and that way leads to death, but guess what doesn't? God's way. Where does God's way lead? Leads to life. Our need is to always commit our way, our objectives, our pursuits and our responsibilities to the Lord, not only for his will and wisdom, but for his enablement. We need God to make it happen for us. And then I just want to end uh, with this. Ephesians 6, 10 through 8. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle... It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. Paul reminds this church that he helped start. You're going to need God in every aspect of your life, in every minute of your life, in every thing that you do, you need God. And God will guide you. But you're in this spiritual battle and you're not going to be able to do it on your own flesh. So you need to put on this full armor. And Paul kind of goes through that. We're not going through that this morning. We don't have time. But what we hope to gain from Joshua is this remembrance, this idea that it is God who directs every step of our life and we need God for everything and every part of our life. There's no part of our life that is inconsequential, that is too small for God. We need God for all of it. And so this morning, we get to come to the table, remember that God thought every part of our life was worth it. So worth it that he came and died on the cross so that knowing that we're not going to make it perfect and we can't do it on our own, to remind us, like, you need me every day for your salvation, for mercy, for grace. You need me. You can't do it on your own. That is what this table reminds us of every week that we, don't, we can't do it on our own, but that God did. And that is the gospel of peace that we can move forward with knowing that God has done it for us. And so let's pray. God, we're thankful that you give us stories to remind us of how good and great you are, how powerful you are, so powerful that the sun stood still. We're thankful that we get to remember daily that we can't do it on our own because there's a lot of our life. There's a lot of things that tell me every day I can do this on my own. I don't, I don't need someone else. I got it. And God, the reminder that I can't is the reminder that I need to rely all my life on you. This morning, God, I pray that you would move our hearts and our spirits. God, would you convict us of even places in our life where we thought, I'm doing good on my own. I don't need to allow God into this. May we surrender those pieces of our life to you if we're still hanging on to them. God, would you guide every aspect of our life. Give us wisdom. Help us to desire your wisdom, your godly wisdom, so that we can be effective servants of you to all that we encounter. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.